thank you so much for listening to Exactly with me, Florence Given. In this podcast, I explore big themes from multiple angles. So far, we've looked at sex, feminism, body image, social media, and in this fifth and final series, we're looking at relationships. There's so much to talk about with the subject, our relationships with ourselves and each other. It's basically what makes us who we are and our relationship with ourselves defines every single other relationship that we have. I just, I could talk about relationships forever. Next week, it's the final part of this mini series and of season one, and we're going to be opening up the conversation to you. I'm going to be joined by relationship expert Todd Barats to answer as many of your relationship queries and questions as we can. If you want yours answered, send me a message or voice note via our podcast WhatsApp number at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And just really quickly, I wanted to let you all know that I've announced my first ever live show for this podcast. Exactly, we'll be going live in London on May the 26th. My guest will be the one and only Monroe Bergdorf. We'll be live in conversation, taking your questions and having a right laugh along the way. You can go to thepodcastshowlondon.com for more details and to buy tickets. But back to today's episode, I'm so excited about this one. Today, I'm joined by the brilliant Leanne, who runs a blog and Instagram account called Polyphilia to talk all about ethical non-monogamy. This is going to be so interesting and I can't fucking wait. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So today we're going to be looking at non-monogamous relationships with the founder of the polyphilia blog, Leanne. It's not something I have any personal experience in myself. I have friends who are non-monogamous. I've dated people who are non-monogamous. But I'm still just endlessly fascinated by the subject because it's something that I feel is on the rise. The more that we learn about queerness, the more that we learn about gender roles, the more that we're all kind of throwing the rule book out the window for what romantic love looks like and what it can look like for us. And I'm so excited to learn more about it. As someone who is monogamous, I can't even really say why I'm monogamous. It's like my last thing where I don't know why I feel this way. And I'd really like to understand and learn more about it. Leanne started her blog, which offers these insight and tips into non-monogamy in 2020. And since then, she's gained over 160,000 followers, which shows just how much people are now considering trying out non-monogamy or are doing it themselves. I think it's brilliant that people are questioning and challenging these mainstream narratives that we're sold throughout our lives. And that's exactly what I set out to do on this podcast. I want to break out of the echo chamber and I want to hear new ideas and fresh perspectives. Although non-monogamy is becoming much more widely accepted, there's still a world of misinformation out there about the subject, especially the stuff that I've heard, especially the stuff that I've seen. I just want to talk to someone who is engaging in it and Leanne has been engaging in non-monogamy for years and I want to hear about what it's actually like. Even with some of my friends, I feel like it's not appropriate to ask 
everything about it. So to be in this position where, you know, Leanne knows that she's coming on the show to answer all of my burning questions is really exciting to me. Okay, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on my show. Exactly. I can't wait to talk to you today. Before we get into everything, I want to ask you my five questions, my quick five questions that I ask all of my guests. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. Question number one. What's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Um, a really good date. Uh, so just, okay. yeah, meeting new people, making uh, meaningful connections um, and good sex to boot. Yeah. <laughs> What's your definition of a good date? Is it one that ends in sex or is it something that just leaves you feeling incredible um i like i usually have sex on the first date um because okay. i think it's quite important to me uh and in, in my relationships and so i love yeah, that yeah um I love that. <laughs> yeah people are always like oh you know wait until the third date and i'm like why like it's important to me i need to get it out of the way because if you're <laughs> if you're shit in bed like i'm not going to continue seeing you yes. <laughs> hot okay next question if you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life a look that would define you forever leanne what would you wear Oh my god. If I'll be honest, I've never particularly been into fashion. Um, I mostly just focus on whatever's comfortable and practical. But uh, having said that, in my current wardrobe, I do have a lot of like pink, blue, purple. Um, so it would probably be something in those colors. So like, I'm basically a walking bisexual flag. I was um, just gonna <laughs> fucking say that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have a lot of those. You know, Gotta let them know. Yeah. Okay, nice. Okay, next question. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? So some people, including my own partner, actually, when he first met me, they found me intimidating when they first met me. They found me quite intense. Like, I can see why, because it's it's largely down to the fact that, like, I'm quite confident and I'm, like, a fairly open book, emotionally speaking. And also, yeah. I'm autistic, and so sometimes I, like, forget to emote with my face or, like, use the right tone of voice. And so, like, if I forget to do that, then I come across as very blunt. Right, But But, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, the reality is, like, I'm just... I think I'm just very honest and direct as a person, and that kind of can unnerve some people. But, like, I'm just... Mm. I'm very extroverted. I enjoy connecting with people. Um, and I think, like, people just find out, like, I just chill out over time. <laughs> okay. Next question. Finish this sentence. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to... Relationships. I don't think that growing ever stops and I don't think it should, right? I think that's kind of the nice thing about like life and kind of, you know, connection and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think I think relationships, you know, I think everyone's just trying to figuring themselves out. Yeah. Okay, gorgeous. Next question. The last question. When was the last time you majorly cringed at yourself? Okay, so... I think it must have been like this morning, actually. Like I kind of had a flashback to when I was 11. I had a classmate who had a birthday party and um, we decided to go paintballing. And it's the first and only time I've ever been paintballing. And I will explain why. I wasn't told that it was two teams. Like I thought it was every man for himself. Um, and so basically okay. I ended up like during the paintball session, I ended up shooting everyone on my team and they got really pissed <laughs> off at me. <laughs> <laughs> like you only just caught up with the joke yeah today. literally like yeah. there's so many moments like that where like I was just like socially awkward and just autistic and you know I, I look back at it and I go oh my god how did that just go over my head at the time so I have a lot of moments like that basically looking back with a fresh lens yes yeah nice. and well you know I think if you cringe at your past self it means you've grown right so Leanne can you please define the terms polyamory polygamy and ethical non-monogamy and what the difference is between the three. Sure. Polyamory comes from the Greek and Latin roots, poly and amory. So literally it means multiple loves or many loves. Okay. <laughs> it means like, you know, having kind of multiple 
loving relationships with everyone's knowledge and consent. And it's under the umbrella of non-monogamy. Um, some people say ethical non-monogamy, some people say consensual non-monogamy. I personally think those prefixes are like a bit superfluous, so I just say non-monogamy. Yeah, so polyamory specifically, kind of multiple loving relationships, whereas like non-monogamy as a whole can include um, kind of multiple sexual relationships or one romantic relationship and multiple sexual ones and just, you know, anything that is not a monogamous relationship. Polygamy, polygamy, means multiple marriage. So, you know, literally kind of the act of being married to multiple people, which is currently illegal in most parts of the world. And also traditionally speaking, polygamy usually refers to one man, usually with multiple wives. Okay, interesting. Thank you. How did you first decide that monogamy just wasn't for you, babes? I don't think it was actually a conscious decision. It was more like a logical and practical step in my relationship at the time. So I was 17 years old and like I appreciate that I started my non-monogamy journey earlier than most people. Yeah, wow. I just finished school and my partner and I, we were going to different places. So like um, he was going off to university in America and I was going to be spending my gap year in Hong Kong and China, which is where I'm from. Like it just kind of made logical sense at the time to open up our relationship. Like usually, you know, you hear a lot of stories where people like suggest polyamory or non-monogamy to their partner and then like they have a huge fight about it, potentially break up, you know. But for Mm -hmm. us, it was just like, oh, well, we're not going to be seeing each other as frequently as we used to. There are some needs, you know, time, attention, sex, like whatever, that we won't be able to give each other as frequently as we used to. We don't want to resent each other for like this circumstance that's like, you know, out of our hands. So it makes sense for us to see other people. Like it was literally like the chillest conversation ever. You know, I didn't realize that this wasn't like a conversation that other people in long distance relationships had. But I guess, you know, from that relationship, I was like, oh, this is actually where I feel happiest. And, you know, something that I would like to continue to do. And then so every relationship I had from that point onwards was open in some form. Wow. So it was almost like because you'd moved away to do your gap year, mm. it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't even a choice. It was like, this is what seems natural. And then you've just kind of ended up realizing that this is what's for you and what works for you, regardless of who you're dating. Yeah, yeah. And at, at the time, you know, like people were always like, oh, you know, don't you kind of get insecure about kind of him seeing other people? And I was like, no, I'm actually like really encouraging. Yeah. It. Like he'd be like, I went to a house party. I, I like, I met, I met this girl. We did these things. And I'd be like, oh my God, yeah. So like, it wasn't a very traditional path to non-monogamy. My journey has been very different from like a lot of people in that I started quite young. Um, there wasn't that much drama. I didn't experience that much jealousy. I think mm. I've always just had like a very kind of natural affinity to kind of doing this kind of thing. Yeah, because I'm queer mm-hmm. and I mostly date women and non-binary people. I haven't dated men for a very long time. Mm. And I think I'm monogamous. And it's so funny because I can't even explain why I'm monogamous. Like I can't even explain it. And that's, I'm I'm such a person who likes to understand every single thing about myself. And I have friends who are non-monogamous and they always speak about their partners in the ways that you were just saying. Like when they hear that their partner has been with someone else, it's exciting for them. And I think it's, that is such a wonderful, beautiful place to be. Yeah. In the early days, like I think a lot of people misunderstood kind of my lack of jealousy to mean a lack of care because like I think we're taught to equate jealousy to love. 
like he's kind of jealous about you speaking with the other guys. That means he really cares about you. It's so cute that he's jealous. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just never really resonated with that. Mm. But just because I don't get triggered when when you see other people doesn't mean I don't care about you. In fact, I think it's quite toxic to want your partners to feel resentful and negative stuff, yes. like because yeah. they love you so much. I feel that it's a really messed up thing to want to wish on someone that you love. It is. Yeah. Do you think it's taught? Because like mm. I, like I said, I can't explain why I'm monogamous. Mm. I, I guess for me it calculates an energy thing. So yeah. if if I'm investing a lot of energy into someone I would find it exhausting maintaining a lot of romantic relationships and I guess that's how I kind of explain it Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's healthy enough to recognize your limits right like I think if you're just like I literally do not have the time and energy to invest in more than one relationship yeah that's fair enough right like attraction Mm -hmm. doesn't require action that's something that I say a lot it's funny because like when I speak to other monogamous people, like a lot of the time when they list like the reasons like they're monogamous, they usually talk about how they couldn't do polyamory, you know, and they say things like, oh, um, you know, I just get too jealous or they'd say things like, oh, you know, I wouldn't want to share my partner. And it's again, kind of coming back to like this kind of possessive mentality. I don't meet that many monogamous people who were just like, yeah, I just don't have the time. Um, or like, I just don't want to. Or like, I want to devote my kind mm. of romantic attention to one person and I'm happy with that. Yes, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'm, there's definitely some element of jealousy in there for me as well. Mm-hmm. It's been um, four years since I've been in a monogamous relationship. So mm-hmm. I have been dating, having lots of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a really wonderful experience for me. So yeah, I haven't been in a mon- monogamous relationship for years. Um, but I think you learn about yourself a lot in relationships um, because I don't know, I couldn't even tell you if I'm a jealous person mm-hmm. because I've not had a partner to be jealous or not jealous of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've deconstructed my like everything when it comes to like gender, sexuality, whether I want to be married or not, whether I want to have kids or not, all of these kind of things that we're taught. And I do feel like monogamy is my last, it's my last thing that I think of in my head where I'm like, you know what? I don't think I could be Mm non-monogamous. And it comes down to me, I think also for like investment of time and energy. And I think the thing that me, me and my friends who are monogamous, we can't even explain why because it always comes back to me the the friends thing like we have so many friends yeah why is it different when it comes to romantic relationships yeah but I still can't explain it I don't know why yeah I think it's something that you figure out over time right I think we would all be you know better as a society if we all kind of like accepted a more expansive definition of love I think like the polyamorous community is often misconstrued as like, you know, trying to like convert everyone to polyamory. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure there are definitely some people who want that. I'm not like that. Um, I'm definitely not in that camp. I just think we would all be happier if like we learned a more expansive definition of love. We admitted that, you know, we do kind of experience attraction to others like in relationships rather than just going like, no, I only have eyes for you and all that kind of stuff. And like if, and if we kind of like did away with just possessiveness in relationships generally, you know, you can be like monogamous and not like, excessively kind of possessive of your partner um and I think also there's like so many different types of love as well right like you know we have kind of very very deep love for our friends that I think society tries to restrict too much or diminish as like less than romantic love right do you find that being queer Mm -hmm. um has allowed you to open up to more different forms of love because I do I think with my friendships it's almost this like non-definable form of love where it's not sometimes it's not platonic and it's not romantic yeah 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 and the queer community talks about like queer platonic relationships right where like these labelless kind of uh dynamics that are just very close and intimate and they kind of go mm. beyond friendship and romance right um so yeah, yeah. Like, i think in a way you know arguably you are practicing polyamory <laughs> right i see <laughs> 
Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. What are some of the benefits of being polyamorous or being non-monogamous for you? The main benefit of practicing polyamory is just it allows me to be my happiest and most authentic self. I mean, like you're an artist, you know, what would you say the benefits of being an artist? It's just like, this is what you enjoy. This is what you have a natural affinity to. It's just kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, it's kind of like that, right? But I think generally speaking, the main benefit that kind of non-monogamous and polyamorous people derive from um, kind of doing this is uh, you get to experience a lot more kind of variety and novelty in relationships. So you know, I think like by connecting with different people, you might be exposed to like, you know, a wide range of, you know, interests and hobbies and kind of personalities and like kinks, right? Like that you might not mm-hmm. have discovered about yourself otherwise if you were uh, just with one person. Um, and I think also um, kind of the things that I learn from other people end up kind of creating this symbiotic relationship with my other kind of partners where like, you know, they all kind of influence and benefit each other. Yeah, that's nice. So, you know, like I'll, I'll find out something new about myself, you know, in the bedroom or like, you know, as a, as a, a passion or interest or whatever. And then I'll take it back to another partner and go like, oh my God, like we can try out these things and then we'll do it and be like, oh my God, yeah, we would have never uh, known about this if like we hadn't been dating other people. And I think, you know, just kind of related to that, it's really been formative to kind of just my self-discovery. And generally, I think there's less pressure to kind of meet all of someone's needs. So what I mean by that is like, your partner has to be like everything to you, your parent, your therapist, your like whatever, like, and you're also kind of supposed to be into the things that they're into and like, you know, go to all the things that they go to. And obviously there are relationships that aren't like that. And I think Mm. in terms of kind of what mainstream romance sells us, that is kind of what it's supposed to look like. And I think practicing polyamory means that like, I just kind of throw that rule book out completely and I'm able to design a relationship that actually like work for me and the other person. And, And so, yeah, like I can just be like my full authentic self and you know they kind of like we accept each other as we are and we let the relationship be what it is that's so wonderful that's exactly how I feel about being queer when it comes to the scripts of romance mm. they like there's no guidebook for how to date women so I feel like maybe it's the same thing with non-monogamy where you don't have the script so you get to make up your in- your own rules entirely I want to ask you do you and your partner have rules that are rules that are specific to both of your needs about like when you do this or when you do that because I feel like there's no there must be so many different forms of ethical non-monogamy or polyamory sure um yeah um so um in in my relationship things are generally quite free um so I think like the the only um kind of agreements that me and my partner have are mostly kind of based on like practical and logistical things so my partner and I live together um and so if either of us like have dates that we kind of want to bring over to stay the night or whatever then we'd have to check in with each other about that kind of like check each other's schedules and kind of have to communicate about that um and I think another (laughs) big thing is probably like safer sex agreements so um you know getting tested regularly just the basic principles of like checking checking in with each other about things being honest and kind of communicating things promptly 
quickly rather than kind of leaving things until later or like lying by omission and things like that. So I think they're all just like basic principles of like honesty and communication. Um, and then everything is kind of built on top of that. But, you know, obviously that's our relationship. I think some people can have other kind of agreements and like boundaries that they set in their relationships. I get a lot of messages from women who are just realizing that they're bisexual mm. in relationships with men. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them say to me that they are considering opening up the relationship so that they can explore. Um, that's probably my most asked question is women, because I'm bisexual and I'm very openly bisexual. And so I think a lot of people, when they read my work or they see like bisexual representation, they're like, oh yeah, that's how I feel about girls too. Fuck, but I'm in a relationship with a man. Yeah. Do you have any tips for people who may be wanting to explore the fact that they like girls while they're in relationships with someone of the opposite sex mm. um mm. when they still want to stay with that person love with that person maybe like approaching the subject or something because I don't have the expertise for that and that's something I get asked about all yeah. the time yeah no so, okay so this is a really really great question I have a lot of things to say about it Go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think exploring sexuality is a really really big reason why people open up their relationships whether it's like you know exploring kind of bisexuality as you said or like exploring kink or just you know just just exploring kind of different types of sex really right i think as a bisexual woman if you're in a monogamous relationship with a man and um you want to kind of open up the relationship in order to explore relationships with women obviously you know like that's like a really really great thing to do and you know a lot of women like open up for that reason but i would caution the kind of negotiations with your partner like making sure that like your partner isn't just agreeing to open up because he thinks that like relationships with women don't count because like I sometimes yeah. see a lot of kind of um, you know women in monogamous relationships where like you know they they kiss their female friend like at a party or whatever and then their partner's <laughs> like oh yeah that's hot, I have so been it's the fine. I yeah. have been the victim of one of those kisses like I've experienced those kisses and then I'll see her go with her boyfriend and I'm like what's going on if you're coming from a place where like your boyfriend acknowledges that like you know your bisexuality is real and you know mm. you're not just kind of like straight and then kind of kissing women for funsies you know but I I think in relationships where like you open up to specifically to explore with like a gender that your partner is not. Sometimes you can run into situations where your partner is like fetishizing your sexuality, objectifying you, objectifying whoever you end up with, right? Like I think kind of a lot of conversations need to be had about like, you know, the, your kind of respective motivations for like opening up. And I think also, you know, if you open up to explore your sexuality, it makes sense to uh, for your partner to also have the freedom to explore his. Um, mm. So then that's something to contend with you know, your partner is not defined by their gender or their genitals or like their performance mm. in bed and recognizing that like, you know, everyone is like, you know, a whole kind of human being in themselves and like everyone has something unique to offer as a person rather than like as a gender. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's when that kind of fetishization comes in, isn't it? When like the boyfriend maybe is okay with the girls and then maybe they insinuate the men and that's like, it, it becomes a oh, no, 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 not with guys. And then that's when it's like, so what did you think I was doing here with the girl? Because I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think a lot of men kind of fall into this thing where they're like, yeah, she can sleep with women and women, women, it's women's hot. not going to steal. Like, it's hot. Or like, oh, women's not going to yeah. steal her away from me. Um, or <laughs> we're just, just like, hmm, okay. Yeah, um, she really could. <laughs> um, and also like, you know, trans people get left out of this conversation as well because it's like, okay, are you focusing on like, if you're focusing on kind of them being men, okay, what about trans men? If you're focusing on, like, them having having dicks, okay, what about trans women? Like, you know, mm -hmm. and, like, trans people and non-binary people kind of get left out of yeah. this um, kind of yeah. very reductive rule. Yes, so yeah. interesting. You know, so I think there's a difference between, like, opening up a relationship and then kind of wanting to explore, exploring your sexuality and, like, doing it because, like, 
your partner like specifically gets insecure about men and mm. there's a weird double standard with kind of men versus women. Do you think that biologically we're supposed to be non-monogamous? I would personally avoid saying things like we're meant to be this or meant to be that. Okay. Um, you know, I can only speak from kind of my own experience and what I've like seen and read and all that kind of stuff. And so I would really hesitate to make kind of grand sweeping generalizations about like how like we as a species are everyone, like, everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's kind of the caveat. Having said that, there is like a vast amount of research that certainly points to the fact that like humans are not a monogamous species. Um, mm. So we're going back to kind of evolutionary psychology stuff. But obviously, you know, we have been influenced by culture and like our upbringings and whatever. And I think like uh, when scholars kind of talk about how we're naturally non-monogamous, they kind of miss out on the fact that we are being influenced by like the media and, you know, our upbringings and all that kind of stuff. And it, I think it's very, very difficult to unlearn that and kind of divorce that from yeah. like, who we are and our personalities. Yeah, especially especially when everything around it kind of like reinforces that. So even if you're exactly. comfortable and you feel naturally non-monogamous, I imagine there's constantly people around you going, but how do you do that? Don't you feel jealous when they're like this and da da da? da? So it's even like it's like it's even like the pressure of like feeling like you need to get married. It's like everyone mm -hmm. around you talking about something. You can yeah. either convince yourself that oh maybe this isn't what I want. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know the pressure to get married, the pressure to have kids, the pressure to move in with your partner to show that you love them. Like we do not exist in a vacuum, right? Like I think these things like influence us, and so even if it is the case that like humans are like a non-monogamous species, right? I I don't think that means that everyone should be non-monogamous. There's just so much stuff that we like would have to unlearn in order for that to happen, and like sometimes yeah, the effort is just not worth it. I do think that if we were really monogamous as a species, like cheating and divorce rates wouldn't be as high as they are. There was a study that was published a while ago about like sexual fantasies, and I think it was something like 95% of men and like almost 90% of women said that they had fantasized about sex with multiple partners. So right. like it's clearly a thing that people wow. think about a lot. That's really sad then, isn't it? To think that like maybe we're all actually naturally a lot less possessive, naturally a lot less inclined to be with one person. And we all maybe have some, like, I mean, I say all 90 to 95% is quite a high percentage of people. And we all have these thoughts, but we're all kind of keeping each other in this high control group of monogamy where it's like, oh, but this is what we do, isn't it? So let's all follow these rules. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all like, you know, kind of the drive for like the nuclear family, kind of like marriage being uh, like institutionalized, like, you know, like legally as, you know, and as a kind of financial decision and all that kind of stuff, like probably motivated us to, to be this way. So I've seen you talk online about how often people assume that non-monogamy is about avoiding commitment and intimacy and mm. vulnerability. Can you talk a bit more about that? I think like that, again, kind of comes down to like these messages that we receive like in the media about, you know, equating jealousy to love and equating commitment to monogamy. Commitment to me is like love and kind of trust and communication and, you know, like supporting their goals, enhancing like their happiness and like supporting them in times of need. None of that requires monogamy. 
I show up for my partners. Like I am kind of consistently loving them like as an action, wow. like day by day. Yeah. And so I think, you know, how on earth like is that not commitment? That is, that is commitment and that is beautiful. My, my first thought then, like I said to you earlier about the time thing, that sounds so overwhelming to me um, mm. in terms of like scheduling and time and stuff. But then I guess I'm the same with my friends. Like, you know, I've got my besties who I check in with every day and then I have the friends that we meet for coffee once a month for a catch-up. Yeah. Do you find that, that that's the similar kind of... Because, um, of course, not everyone is going to be your partner. Yeah. Um, and you Because you, you don't... You live with one person. So yeah. that, that's that relationship. And then you have all the kind of trickle-down different types of relationships. Uh, is, is that what you find with polyamory as well? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I, I have my kind of own personal boundaries. Like, I think, like... Um, I need a lot of my own space. So like, even though my partner and mm. I live live together, like we, like actually like half the week, like we sleep in separate bedrooms. Um, yeah. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. I mean, it <laughs> I is amazing. That. It is yeah. fucking amazing. <laughs> um, and we both like our own space. We're very independent as people. Like we live together like over lockdown and I'm pretty sure we survived that because like we kind of set good boundaries for like giving each other like time to like just, you know, be, nice. be apart from each other so we could have the rush of like coming together again and spending quality time, right? Because I think when you're living with someone there's a difference between like just you know spending quality time with them and just existing with them in a space scheduling is like obviously something that like is a hot topic like in the polyamorous community because yeah like even if like love and affection and intimacy are theoretically kind of infinite um you know your time and energy are not and particularly if you're like particularly introverted then it can be exhausting to kind of juggle like multiple relationships right so I think it does take a certain type of person like I've got spreadsheets and like uh, color-coded calendars (laughs) and like labels to kind of all my stuff so like I keep it all in check wow is are there I hope I can ask you this are there a lot of breakups because I would imagine that there's a lot of um people who maybe agree to date you in your situation with the partner and the other partners and then maybe they realize they're not up for it that that that's what I've heard from my friends is that it's a lot of um it's it's a lot of breakups because it's a lot of relationships at the same time. So um, in the early days, like when I was uh, when I first started out on my polyamorous journey and like didn't really vet people appropriately, um, uh, I think I did okay. run into a lot of people who uh, weren't as committed to me and to polyamory as I was. So um, you know, I think a lot of people like they thought they were okay with it, but then like you know, once things got serious, they were like, "Oh shit, I want you all to myself." Mm. Um, and you know, and I think a lot of people kind of mistake polyamory for just like casually dating until you pick your favorite, which is kind of wow, what monogamous yes. people do. So I think in the early stages, yeah, like there were definitely a lot of situations where I date someone and then you know things would get serious and I'd be you know very committed to them emotionally, but because I was also seeing other people, they couldn't return that commitment. Um, yes. And so, yeah, I think it's about like doing that pre-vetting and like asking the appropriate questions. And I think at this stage in my life, you know, I've been kind of non-monogamous like, six years now. Um, so I started when I was 17, I'm now 23, almost 24. Um, yeah, I, and- I, I, can't, I can't believe we're the same age. Um, just, <laughs> yeah. ju- just, just because as well, I feel like it takes a really, um, and I get this a lot, everyone's like, how are you only 23? So it's mm-hmm. nice to actually feel the same way about someone. I'm like, how are you 23? Because you have such a refined like understanding of yourself to be able to like do polyamory as well and have been doing it and practicing it and I just can't even imagine the like the levels of communication of boundary setting I think it's really like I'm actually just in awe of like the skills that that must require when I think it's it took so some against time for me norm. to get here to be fair like, yeah um, yeah well, well like you said six years but I just think it's um it's uh, most people who I've met who are have been doing it for so long are 
a lot older and I just think it's really cool that you know what you want you're okay with asserting that and it's so I just think it's really cool I think I think partly um well I, I think there are kind of various factors that can can contribute to that but I do think a major factor is the fact that I'm autistic um okay. and I think so um I don't know how much you know about autism Voss, but like being autistic means that um, a lot of kind of social norms just go over your head. So, you know, like, you know, when I, when I talked about the only time I paint, played paintball, like I think when everyone is organizing themselves into teams and there were clearly like two sides, we were all like undercover. Like I should have been able to look around me and see like, oh, there are two teams. I, it's not every man for himself. But that okay. just completely went over my head because the social cues of people kind of organizing them, like, it, you know, I wasn't clued in on that. And, you know, my queerness comes into this as well. Like, because like a lot of kind of things that, um, you know, people just kind of take for granted in terms of kind of like social norms and like things that you're supposed to do. They like really didn't register in my mind. Okay. I was much more able to kind of break free of it like very early on. So I feel this way about kind of my sexuality. I feel this way about my non-monogamy. I feel this way about my gender. And, you know, I so I think it's no accident as well that like a lot of people in the queer community are also neurodivergent. And I think it's also no accident that a lot of neurodivergent people are polyamorous or non-monogamous. Like the yes. Venn diagram is not a circle, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What advice do you have for people who are, they want to be Mm non-monogamous and they're trying Mm -hmm. and they are struggling with the jealousy aspect of it? Or would you not recommend it to someone who's having those feelings? I honestly think that like jealousy is like a very normal emotion. I don't think the goal of practicing polyamory is to eradicate it from your emotional vocabulary. Um, okay. So, um, you know, the, I, there are plenty of kind of polyamorous people who do experience jealousy and there are plenty of monogamous people who don't. Mm. Obviously, you know, I do think that if you struggle less with jealousy, you're probably more likely to practice polyamory just because it's just going to be easier. <laughs> um, but it's like, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive things. You know, I think it's not so much about the fact that you feel jealousy, but more so like what you do with it when you experience it. Are you going to like stop your partner from like doing whatever it is that triggered you? Or are you going to kind of ask yourself where it's coming from um, and kind of do a self-assessment in that way? So like in addition to kind of like running my blog and stuff, um, I also give uh, peer support, um, which is basically like, you know, I give advice uh, to kind of clients who are kind of struggling with stuff like this, you know, with 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 jealousy and opening up. Um, And something that I tell them, you know, when they're kind of in the throes of jealousy is to think about whether the jealousy that they're experiencing is internal or external. So what I mean by that is jealousy can either be internal, as in, you know, it can either be like an echo of your previous trauma or like your insecurities, right? You know, like a situation might be kind of bringing up feelings that you have a fear of abandonment or like you're not good enough or that you're going to be replaced or that like you're not enough. In that case, interrogating like where that comes from, you know, when was the last time you felt like this and, you know, going to like, yeah, like the root of like your insecurities and your trauma and kind of like processing that from from that space. Um, and then if it's external, then it's, you know, going to be like a problem with either your relationship or like with your partner in terms of compatibility. So like, you know, is it that your partner used to give you X amount of time and now they're giving you less and, you know, you need X amount of time in order to feel like loved and valued in a relationship? Or like, is there something that they're doing with your, with their other partner that you really like to do and you would like to do with them as well? So in which case, you know, have a conversation with your partner about it 
and you know communicate that you need these things like to to feel loved or the result is that you just don't mesh as people and there isn't a way for them to kind of provide you these needs then you know the relationship has to end right it's a compatibility issue and it's no one's fault so I think the main point that I'm trying to make here is like I think jealousy is uh something that you can learn from rather than something to try and like avoid at all costs and try to circumvent at all costs which I think is something that sadly uh we're taught to do in monogamous relationships like if if you if you're jealous then what your partner is doing must be wrong um and they need to stop doing it immediately so there's there's no introspection you know polyamory is hard for a lot of people because like it is basically just like turbocharging like your personal growth journey (laughs) wow yeah yeah yeah, because I imagine that there's lots of different angles. It's multiple mirrors being held up to you at the same time. When Absolutely. I'm dating like uh, someone and I feel that that mirror is back stuff to me and I'm like, oh God, I didn't know I reacted that way to that kind of thing. And I yeah. always find it really fun and interesting, but I can't imagine like, yeah, like multiple mirrors at the same time and p- different people bringing out different facets of you. But I guess that's what it's like with my friendships. I'm I'm different versions of floss, almost like a circle of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like this giant rainbow and just like different colors get experienced by different parts of my friends. Yeah. And it's not that it's inauthentic. It's not that I'm a different person with them. It's that they bring out different sides of me. So imagine that must be, if you are non-monogamous and polyamorous, quite nice to experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, it sounds like you get it. (laughs) That's why like polyamory has been so fulfilling to me because, you know, I get to experience that, you know, without kind of restriction. Okay, so I want to move now onto the questions that my listeners have sent in. Mm -hmm. Okay, question number one. How do you know if you're actually polyamorous or if you just fancy or like flirting with and getting attention from other people? I, I think that the main difference is emotional availability and vulnerability. I think from that yourself or from others? Or? From well, both. Like I think that um, you know, it's one thing to just like, you know, how like desire the occasional flirtation and have it you know just be like a fun, meaningless thing. And for you to actually want to like commit to multiple people. Because love is vulnerability. And if you're just having fun, uh, rather than like opening up to someone emotionally and what you said about the mirrors, Floss, like, you know, like seeing that kind of reflected in yourself and like challenging yourself and growing in that way, that is the difference. Again, like this is kind of coming back to what we said earlier about like avoiding commitment and intimacy. Like it is furthest like from from that it could possibly be. Like I think I think polyamory is not so much a fear of commitment, but like a love of commitment because <laughs> you know we, so we, we want to, to look be committed at it that to way. people yeah yeah because but I guess it's you're dealing with what polyamory actually is when you engage in it fully and mm. then what people assume it is which is just a fun orgy where you like lots of attention yeah, like, yeah. although poly- you know fun orgies where yeah. you get lots of attention is also really good I can gorgeous <laughs> also gorgeous um, yeah. but then I guess like you're dealing with the idea so this person saying is it just this or that like like you're saying people assume that polyamory isn't actually that engaged with vulnerability but it couldn't be more um, engage with vulnerability because you're opening yourself up to lots of people. I think that's interesting. Yeah, like, you know, love is kind of giving someone the power to hurt you. Yes. And, oh, you yes. Know, yeah. And I think, like, there's a difference between kind of doing that, like, with multiple people and just, like, having a, fl- a fun, flirtatious time. Okay, mm-hmm. next question. What kind of boundaries are important when embarking on polyamory for the first time? I guess that would be dependent on your situation, right? Because someone might be like, no sex, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think it would be um, kind of dependent on the relationship, right? Like, yeah. I think different people are 
comfortable with different things whereas like some people are more comfortable with kind of general like sexual non-monogamy and like they're exclusive romantically like with their partner Mm. um but you know they're like sexually non-exclusive so you know they might go to threesomes like they might go to orgies they might have threesomes they might kind of have like friends with benefits like separately right like you know it can take a whole bunch of different forms when kind of opening up your relationship generally like have a conversation about like what kind of structure you would like to have um i would also kind of caution against like any kind of relationship agreements involving like feelings um because i think in a a particularly in kind of sexually non-monogamized relationships there's this whole thing where you agree like okay we're only going to love each other and you're not allowed to fall in love with other people but then that kind of thing can be very difficult to control um you know like you can't help like if you have a crush or like you know you feel like some butterflies like for for someone that you've been sleeping with so i think it's probably better to just have a contingency plan again attraction doesn't require action just because you do have kind of romantic feelings for for like a friend with benefits it doesn't necessarily mean that the love that you share with your partner suddenly is meaningless or like doomed or uh, not enough so i think setting boundaries around like actions rather than feelings is probably going to be like the better route to go. Okay, nice. Thank you. Next question. How do you introduce multiple partners to your parents? Um, so I have not done this yet. <laughs> mm. Maybe, I guess it depends on your living situation. Yeah. You, you could live with your parents maybe and that yeah. would be an entire thing. And yeah, I guess yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I'm in the unique situation in that like I'm from Hong Kong I grew up there and my parents still live there so I've been living apart from my parents like on a whole different continent for quite a while which is why like mm-hmm. you know just introducing partners and even friends to parents is not really something that like It'd I do on a regular deal, basis it? it would be quite yeah. a big deal exactly um but then I imagine if we were living in the same country and there was like someone uh, there you know there were people who like I you know thought were kind of emotionally significant to me and they wanted to be introduced to my parents I would probably have a conversation with my parents first in terms of like explaining our situation and like setting boundaries around like, you know, questions they can ask and things that they can say in front of us. Because I think the last thing I want would be to expose my partners to like a lot of ridicule and potentially abuse, like from my family members for all from people who just like don't mm-hmm. get it or, you know, aren't like sensitive about these kinds of things. That's very considerate. Yeah. I think that there is still like a lot of stigma about non-monogamy and polyamory, a lot of misconceptions, um, which is kind of why I set up my blog really to kind of just talk about these things and educate the masses. Okay. The last question we have here, can anyone choose to become polyamorous coming from a codependent monogamous work in progress? Ooh. So I guess this this is someone who codependent, so probably needs to constantly be in a relationship. Maybe hops from relationship to relationship. Yeah, yeah, plays the caretaker in the relationship. Yeah. Can anyone become poly, or do you uh, think that people are born that way, <laughs> it's like um, being gay? This is a multifaceted question because I okay. I think that like codependency, you end up in this toxic dynamic where you're the caretaker in the relationship, and you simultaneously mm. resent that you kind of are picking up after your partner all the time and basically raising them um, while also like needing that validation because you want to feel needed, right? That's the kind of dynamic that you end yeah. up in if you're, if you're codependent. Um, yes. And that means that, you know, you and your partner kind of like are like fused like as a unit, you can't live without each other. And I think polyamory would be very difficult to practice in that situation if you're not like individuals 
right? Kind of going on separate self-discovery journeys, which is what a lot of polyamory is. I think a lot of couples make this mistake of embarking on polyamory without having fully like disentangled themselves from each other. Mm. Um, And they still kind of see themselves as like one person and they do everything with that mindset. And it hurts, you know, their relationship and the people around them. So I think like codependency, I think, you know, that's like a first thing, you know, in terms of like, just to like work through like, you know, personally, you know, and in in therapy and all that kind of stuff, you know, where it comes from and you know, learning kind of healthier boundaries, right, for yourself and your relationships. Before you enter the polyamorous. Exactly. And then I think, secondly, figuring out if you personally want polyamory or if you're just doing it because your partner wants you to. Because I think Mm. that's another danger in kind of codependent uh, dynamics or like it just in general kind of monogamous dynamics where we're taught like love is sacrifice and you have to kind of do everything to make your partner happy. You know, people, people please. And they think like, oh, you know, I'll do this because, you know, my, my partner wants this and they ignore like their own needs and their own desires. You need to figure out your why. Like why are you personally practicing polyamory not mm. because you like fear fear your partner leaving you or because you fear change or loss right why are you doing it i think it's different for everyone right because different people have kind of different upbringings and traumas and insecurities and some people take longer to unlearn it than others right but mm. i do think that it is something that probably most people can do if they genuinely want it and put their mind to it wow i have so much food for thought after that incredible episode with leanne I love the way that she talks about polyamory. I think it's really interesting. I definitely learned a lot in this episode about the different ways that people can be can be polyamorous, particularly related to a lot of the stuff she's saying about friendship and um, non-definable relationships. I think it's a very queer thing. Um, and I really hope that anyone listening, if you sent in your question, I feel like your question was, I hope that you feel like your question was answered during this episode. You can follow Leanne on all social media at polyphilia blog. And next week, I'll be joined with the absolute brilliant Todd Barat to answer all of your relationship queries. If you'd like to speak to us or ask any questions, you can get in touch on WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget I'll be answering even more of your questions on the bonus episodes that are available to subscribers of Apple Podcasts. You can ask me absolutely anything. If you want your question answered by me, you can drop me a text or a voice note on WhatsApp on plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And a massive thank you to the fucking incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for my podcast. You can find them on Instagram at Black Honey UK and check out their latest album called Written and Directed. To keep yourself updated with all the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please take the time to rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review. It really does help people to find us and make sure that the people who need to hear these conversations do. This is a podcast from something else. My producer is Millie Charles. My assistant producer is Ella McLeod. Executive producer is Carly Mail. Production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And I want to give a special thanks to our engineers, Jay Beal, Josh Gibbs, and mixing engineer, Gully Lawrence Tickle. And additional production from Chris Skinner and Teddy Riley. Hold up. 